You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Thursday, March 4th. The Batman arrives. Join Carl and Amy each week as they break it down. He owes me that money. I'm sorry. What is that? That's all right. You assume the worst in people. Which, well... Maybe we're not so different after all. Who are you under there? Listen to me. If we don't stand up for Annika, no one will. All anyone cares about in this place are these white, privileged assholes. The mayor, the commissioner, the DA, now Thomas and Bruce Wayne. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, that psycho's right to go after these creeps. I think you'd be on his side. What do you mean, Thomas and Bruce Wayne? What, do you live in a cave? The Riddler's latest, it's all about the Waynes. Listen. If I can find that dickbag Kenzie, will you help me? Please. Come on, vengeance. Just don't make any moves without me, understand? It's a little more dangerous than you know. I told you, baby. I can take care of myself. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Bat and the Cat podcast. This is Chapter 5, Feline Feelings. I am once again one of your hosts, Carl, and I am joined by the infamous Selena, the cat of all cats. We got Amy. Hey, y'all. I'm super pumped for the half that involves the, the cat tonight. We got some big things happening. Oh, it, it, I, yeah, like her, this is her moment to shine because we learn the truth and the depth of who Selena is in, in this 20 minute stretch, Amy. And I can't wait to get to that. <laughs> <laughs> um, for all of, all of our folks following along. Once again, I'd like to share the timestamps with you. We will be covering the one hour, 24 minute, 57 second mark through one hour, 40 minutes and 51 seconds in case you'd like to queue up at home. Um, Amy, we are going to open today with none other than the Penguin. Obviously, our last episode, we looked at him being captured in that iconic Mm -hmm. car chase scene. Of course, lots of things going on with Penguin right now with that show being being a made right now and and they even gave us a little trailer this past week which was great but 
this is one of my favorite penguin moments uh when they've when they've got him there and what is this good cop batshit cop (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah just colin farrell rocks this role so well i just i love it um and, and and i love how you know we're going from this scene where you know, it's very intense music and this slow walk up where he's seeing the Batman upside down and he's in his car to just like this scene where he's just getting thrown against a wall by the Batman. <laughs> I know it. I know it. And, and you know, it, it's implied, obviously, that uh, Batman put him in his car because he put a, you know, a, some sort of facial covering over him because he pulls that off um, as, as Gordon approaches. And. I think something that stands out to me in the scene is how genuinely afraid Penguin is at the way in which Gordon and Batman are leaning on him as if he's a rat, right? Like he has this, there's just such a genuine fear coming off of him, which is kind of similar to the fear that Gil Coulson had, right? Like the fact that he won't give up Falcone as the rat is because he's so afraid of what Falcone would do to his family. Penguin in a in a different way, but similar in the sense of fear, you know, that all of these they're implying that he's the rat on Falcone's unit. And he's just like, do you have any idea what he'd do if he heard this kind of talk? Right. Mm -hmm. There's this genuine fear for Penguin. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know if it's so much fear. I feel he's super offended that anybody would ever call him a rat because he's a you know, he's he's in the group he's in, but he's loyal where he is. That's that's actually Iris in my comment, Amy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> not that it's a not that it's a competition, but no, you're you're absolutely right. It's not fear. It's it's more of like he's so proud of the fact that he's part of this organized crime family. And you get that yeah. later, right? Like once Falcone gets arrested and everything, and he's he's so pissed, you know, that that's the rat. Um, there is this loyalty for Penguin to this to this crime family. So that's a good eye. Like, yeah, it's definitely well, not so much fear as it is an offense. It's that so he- funny. To, it, it's so funny to me too. Cause then he like turns it around and he's like, El Rata, a lot of rat with wings. It's a freaking bat. Yeah. And you know, he's trying to say like, why wouldn't you think the Batman is the rat? And that doesn't even phase either of them. He's like, why, like, why would you not assume this vigilante, mm-hmm. <laughs> this vengeance is the one who's the rat and, and you'd be accusing me of it. <laughs> well, and, and it's, you know, it's there's a this movie doesn't particularly have comedy, understandably so, but there are <laughs> very brief moments of levity. And this scene is one of them, right, from the good cop, bat shit cop to mm-hmm. Penguin also mocking their poor Spanish skills. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, it's 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 just really comical. And he's 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 making fun of them, you know, world's greatest detectives. Like he's saying all these things that are actually kind of true, but he's saying it so mockingly. Um, and I think this this next portion of the film, too, kind of continues what we were looking at a lot in the last episode, which is, again, that relationship of Batman and, and Jim Gordon. Um, the fact that Gordon is even here, right, doing these things all in the dark, uh, you know, really kind of ignoring uh, the rules and of the trade of being a police detective, uh, right, it shows shows him the brutal photos of, of the the half-eaten commissioner um oh yeah he's breaking all sorts of rules to try to intimidate penguin here um and you know all this stuff is off dialogue yeah (laughs) yeah so you know further evidence that gordon is is comfortable doing things off the books a bit yeah yeah it's it's just like the dialogue between them going back and forth he's like no no and they're just like throwing things in his face and like 
they they really are teaming up like great partners in this and it just shows just the just the interactions between Gordon and the Batman too and just like they are just a fabulous team um and and Penguin just sells it on the other side of it too it's just th- this interaction between the three was amazing it's so good it's so good um and and in as he kind of mocks their their spanish inabilities <laughs> um <laughs> Once again, I mean, there's so much about this where we're really being shown how sharp Batman's mind is for fit, figuring out riddles, right? Like U R L, and he's like, "Okay, to the computer." <laughs> like, I know it's kind of like, "Holy crap! How the heck did you figure that out?" Um, <laughs> and uh, just realizes it's a website and has this. Uh, now, Amy, are you familiar with? I think it's called like the dark web. Are you familiar with this? Some, yeah. I know next to nothing about it. My roommate was telling me about it one time, actually when we were watching the movie together and he's like, Oh, they're probably in the dark web. I'm like, what's that? And he goes, Oh, it's a real thing. Like, <laughs> like criminals use it and like black markets. And I'm like, Oh geez. Um, but you know, as Batman is having this kind of G chat <laughs> with Riddler, once again, Riddler's throwing these, these riddles right at him and he's, he's solving them like that, like that, like that same thing as, yeah. you know, when he was with helping out with Gil Colson. I mean, it, just again, this continued evidence that Matt Reeves wants to really show and make it very clear that Batman is the world's greatest detective. Um, what I'm curious about, though, is when Batman solves the riddle of, you know, basically figuring out that Riddler is an orphan. What do you think that does to Batman's psyche, if anything? I mean, it, it just shows how they're similar again. Right. And it's like, you know, you have this person who obviously idolizes you and communicates with you in a different way than communicating with others and believes you two are connected. And the Batman doesn't really want to believe that, but you know, this is more signs that they are more similar than he realizes. Hmm. And do you think, probably not, but do you think that that gives any sort of empathy on Batman, on Batman's part towards this particular person as he learns that he's an orphan and learns more about that? Do you think there's any empathy tied into it? Go. Yeah, you know, I don't really think the Batman feels empathy right now. He's still a very, things are one way or the other, and there's not really this gray area, and Similar to how he treats the Catwoman right now, where, you know, I think he's a little more confused about her, but he he doesn't see her as good or bad, or he sees her as either good or bad, that there's no gray area. So he's always trying to find that bad. Um, so I, I don't even think he could have that empathy at this point. That's a good point. Um, yeah, and, and, and I think he's in such investigative mode that there probably isn't much room for any sort of empathy for a guy like this right now. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, but once again, because he's the world's greatest detective, he knows where they need to go next. Uh, um, and we learn a bit of a backstory here, which I think is really neat, is the orphanage that the Riddler is referring to is one that was founded by the Wayne estate. And Batman, you know, basically confirms to Gordon that it was donated when Wayne Tower. So, right, he he's currently living in Wayne Tower in what looks like downtown Gotham. So this Wayne Manor that probably used to exist outside the city limits was donated at that time to be an orphanage, which I just think is kind of neat because it's a tie back to 
uh, the end of Dark Knight Rises when, you know, uh, Bruce's will is being read at the end of the movie. And it says that Wayne Manor can will forever only be used as an orphanage. Um, so just kind of a neat little tie into that as well. Um, but Amy, I don't think you ever did mainly because I said I was going to mail you this and I never did. Sorry. Uh, but there's that there's a prequel novel to this movie that came out shortly after the movie came out. It's called Before the Batman. Um, and weirdly enough, it's a book written for like middle schoolers, which is so bizarre to me because I don't oh, wow. think this movie's really for middle schoolers. <laughs> um, and not that a middle schooler can't see it, but it was a very interesting uh, uh, route to go with that book. But what what is really neat that we learn in that book is we learn who's responsible for burning out the orphanage. You want to guess who it was? Ooh. <laughs> is that a riddle? Is it? <laughs> <laughs> Who would you guess did it? Riddler. Yep. Because uh, <laughs> it is, in fact, the orphanage that he grew up in. And uh, yeah, he's the oh. one who burns it to the ground. We learned that in the prequel story. That's uh, cool. Wow. So I guess he I doesn't to burn that. it to the ground. Yeah, I'll, I'll bring it. I'll bring it to D.C. for you. <laughs> <laughs> um. So before we leave this scene, yes, I, I don't know if yes. you've done this, Carl, but the computer knew to me had to. Have you gone to RataAlada.com? No, I keep forgetting to. And I know that. Okay. The, what's there? So if you go to RataAlada.com, it will come up with in the center of the screen. It's like a dark blue and it has the city of Gotham police department symbol on there. Um, And then it says GCPD below it. And it says this domain has been seized and it has a description um, talking about how RataAlada and URLRataAlada.com has been seized by the Gotham police department pursuant to a seizure warrant issued by the Gotham City District Court under the authority and all the all the usual law enforcement stuff it's super cool that is so it really like seems cool. really legit and um in the browser tab too it just has the the green riddler question mark so yeah i the the computer nerd in me had to go check this out and see what <laughs> what was happening on the riddler's dark web <laughs> Oh, well, I guess it's you're not privy to know now, Amy, because the the police won't let you. I know. Well, no Gotham City uh, police have shown up yet, so I guess I'm okay. Yeah. Well, I guess if a fictional police force shows up at your door, we have bigger concerns. Um, As long as Ramirez is there and we can have a conversation. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You mean Martinez? Yeah, yeah, Martinez. (laughs) Ramirez is a police officer in The Dark Knight actually. Ah, so, thank you. So yeah, you are, you are not wrong about them being a, yeah. a Gotham detective. <laughs> um, uh, no, that's so cool. I love that you did that. And I'm ashamed that I have not. Uh, so, um, the, the, so the scene of them investigating, uh, the, the old orphanage, a couple of things I took note of is first and foremost, just as Batman kicks in the door and, you know, Jim Gordon pulls out his gun and cocks it and he's like no guns he's like yeah that's your thing man (laughs) (laughs) um it I don't know why but for whatever reason I keep seeing crossovers between this and Dark Knight Rises more than any of the other Nolan films but there's a similar line in Dark Knight Rises the first time Batman helps Selina in a fight on top of the roof fighting Bane's men she pulls out her gun he knocks it out of her knees her hands and he says no guns no killing (laughs) Um, so I I think a simple line like that is just to remind us the audience of something that we've always known to be true about Batman is that he doesn't kill. So I feel like him saying to Gordon, no guns is just further evidence that this is that Batman who doesn't kill. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, 
Oh, what do you, what do you think about this this scene as they're investigating this? I mean, this this scene has a the only jump scare I would say in the movie, right? Where they see that person appear at the end of the hallway, um, it, it, kind of giving horror vibes. Like you know, it's a very dilapidated yeah. space. What do you think? I mean, yeah, this had a lot of video game vibes to me, mm. uh, like going into the House of the Dead or something. Um, but I feel like it, it's the visual representation of this renewal fund. You know, like it's this failed just dark dungy place there's mold there's leaks everywhere i mean i could smell it when i watch that scene i can just smell what it the like sewage smell that's probably in there and that rusty rusty smell to all this water on the building um and when you when you see the eyes of all the people who are hiding in there it almost looks like bats congregated in a room um in a way and they're just all clustered and they're you know they're hidden in this space this dark space that is just abandoned and nobody goes to um, and Gordon sees them just like, oh, drop heads. Mm. But it's, you know, it, it, it's deeper than that. It's, it's, it's kind of just a sign of how much failure there is in this city from a renewal fund that was supposed to revive this place. Yeah. I, I, I love that visual you mentioned of them seeing all the eyes in that room gathered together, almost, almost like bats in the night. Uh, that's a really, hiding in the shadows. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, it, it also reminds me. Do, did you ever see the movie? I am legend, the Will Smith movie. Yes. There's a scene in that also where he like he's hunting, you know, the the the, the vampire esque people and he stumbles across a room of them like huddled together. It kind of reminded me of that visually as well. Um, but either way, I think I think all those comparisons work like these are a burned out, broken people seeking refuge. And in a weird way, that orphanage is still providing sanctuary for a group of forgotten people, right? Like, uh, you know, something our society is still really, really bad at is handling folks that have drug addictions, right? We, Mm -hmm. we just love to equate that to them being criminals rather than they're broken and lost people in need of, in need of support, like genuine support, not just to be thrown in a prison cell. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think this is, in a weird way, like even though the orphanage isn't serving its in, in its original intended purpose, in a bizarre way, it is still providing sanctuary for forgotten people. Um, but this is not good enough, <laughs> for sure. Um, yeah, and, but you know, it's probably that zone of safety. Kind of, you know, the Riddler talks about not having anybody there uh, for him as he he grew up either and had to survive. These people are just surviving and just being drop heads is the the easiest way to get through it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that well right and that's the that's often the sad truth of of folks who struggle with addiction is it's usually mm-hmm. something to cover up some sort of deeper pain. Um and I love the way you're tying that into the failed efforts of the renewal fund. Um because that's clearly what the riddler is attacking. Um mm-hmm. is that that systematic breakdown. Uh and then we we kind of we get more evidence as to what renewals really all about as they walk into this you know room with a projector playing this video um i will say a a lot of this movie is really smart and well thought out but this is a scene it's like how did he know when to start playing the video i don't know maybe it's just been on loop since you know for a couple of days (laughs) who knows um why is there electricity in there again these are questions that don't really matter um but it's it's the first time we we hear thomas wayne talk i mean we see that one brief shot of him earlier when you know they're talking about the murder of Mayor Mitchell and connecting that to the to the murder of the Waynes. Um, but we we hear Thomas Wayne essentially telling us what the renewal fund is. It's it's something he's putting 
Uh, it's basically what his his running campaign is is anchored in. Um, but there's mm-hmm. also this commitment to even if I lose, I'm still going to do this. I want to help the people who need it now. Right. There's this real commitment from Thomas Wayne. What do you think that is? What is that bringing up probably for Batman slash Bruce as he walks in there and sees his father on that wall? I mean, I'm sure he's seen the speech a million times, um, but now it's being projected from the Riddler. What? It, what do you think's going on? What's what's he thinking about? I mean, you can see the confusion on him, right? Like, you know, Gordon's still looking at this whole place like a scene, mm-hmm. um, looking at the the writings on the walls, and the Batman is just entranced on this video and seeing his father talk, and you know, probably some of it is bringing up uh, memories for him of of that time period, uh, you know, a time when his father was alive. But then also this confusion and concern of how is my father tied to this? Um, you know, he he has such this high view of his father. So how could anybody have anything else about him? Yeah, uh, he really is transfixed. You're right. I mean, he's he, he's so like lost in it that I like the way you kind of, uh, dele- you know, designate the difference between how Gordon and Batman enter the space. Batman walks in and is almost frozen by the images, whereas Gordon still is investigating and he's the one and Gordon's the one who notices you know spray painted on the wall the sins of the father Mm -hmm. now once again Gordon doesn't quite get the riddle it's Batman who has to figure out the rest of it but um, what's so interesting to me about Riddler using that line the sins of the father it's a very biblical sense of justice Um, right there's a there's a lot of language in in the Old Testament or the you know the Jewish scriptures about how um, you know when when sin occurs, it's often visited upon a ge- like uh, upon future generations, and with this sensibility of like when somebody makes a big systematic mistake, it's not that God directly like puts punishment on for future generations, but rather the mistake filters down, right? Like, um, and and uh, I think for again, right when they even enter the room, we didn't know once again that Ave Maria is playing. Um, mm-hmm. So right, Riddler really sees himself almost as this like holy zealot in his campaign, and he has this sense of biblical justice that this horrible thing that has happened to him, this this horrible breakdown of the renewal project that has basically robbed so many people of of a promise that was made, um, gives him this sense of entitlement that he is doing the right thing by by you know bringing vengeance to those responsible. And since Thomas Wayne's now dead, he's going to visit that, that punishment on Bruce. Yeah. I, I really like the way that you describe it, Carl and you know, the Holy Zealot of, of the Riddler. Um, and it's, it, it's just really interesting that it, I feel like, I don't know if he sees this yet as the Batman, but this is where you can see Bruce Wayne, as Bruce Wayne has been a failure because nobody knows, you know, things failed, but he hasn't done anything to make things better. And nobody knows, you know, what he's doing. Nobody knows that he's the Batman. Um, So as far as people know, he's just some, some spoiled rich kid that's just hiding up in his mansion and not doing anything. Yeah. Um, I, you know, um, this this scene also seems to imply to me that, of course, Riddler doesn't know Batman is Bruce Wayne, um, right? Like the fact that he's targeting Bruce Wayne but is obsessed with Batman 
would imply mm-hmm. to me that he doesn't know that right later in the movie it is kind of in they're trying to insinuate that riddler actually does know but i think this scene makes it pretty apparent that he really doesn't and that's why he's targeting bruce wayne what do you yeah. think do you think he no yeah no yeah sorry i don't think he knows that bruce wayne and batman are the same person i i, I don't think he would ever even believe they could be because of what they represent mm. uh, what a great point yeah you know uh, imagine what it would what it would do to Riddler if he found out that it was that Bruce and Batman were one and the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, could he even accept it? You know, because you're right. He he has such a uh, under like in his mind that Bruce Wayne is just a corrupt rich kid who's had it easy his whole life, and he hates him. There's no way he could compute that that man would choose to be Batman. Yeah, I mean, it's the same we see with interactions with Selena later. You know, like. I don't I don't know how she would react if she knew they were one and the same because she views them as totally different people, too. Yeah. Well, I mean, at this point, they are <laughs> in, yeah. in, in a lot of ways. Um, you know, I I think this is the only time in this movie where Batman kind of disappears on Gordon. Right. That's something that happens a lot in the Nolan in the Nolan films. Right. Where Gordon's talking, mm-hmm. turns around. And he's like, uh, you know, he's gone. Uh, I'm pretty sure this is the only time in this movie where Batman pulls this on on Gordon and he pulls it later in the movie on Martinez. Um, but oh, my gosh, how good is that scene of him in his car speeding back towards Wayne Tower? Ugh. What do you, what are your thoughts on on that moment and, and specifically the way Rob acts that moment? I mean, it brings him back to the fact that the Batman's human and he's frantic and he's scared and he's just calling and calling and driving as fast as he can. And, you know, he's not he's not really like in his vengeance mode anymore. He's he's scared again. He's, you know, somebody he cares about is possibly going to be harmed. Yeah. Yeah. I the, just like uh, with the, the car chasing, he, uh, Robert Pattinson is the most perfect Batman. I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> he is he is far and away the best Batman I've still ever seen on screen. And it's for little moments like this, the way he's and it's all inaudible too. I, I like that we get it from outside the car. So we only hear the engine revving. But at first we see him kind of like I mean, he's like panting, like like an animal in heat. And then we see him clearly yell, come on, but we don't get to hear it. But there's an intensity with which Rob delivers those lines where it exactly fleshes out what you were just saying, Amy, which is he is frantic. He is not Batman in this moment. He is that scared little boy again. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's so interesting to see him doing driving in this scene versus when he was going after the penguin because he was so meticulous when he was going after the Mm -hmm. penguin and, you know, could go through anything. Now he's just like, you know, some crazy driver. Um, out there who's just going super fast trying to get somewhere because life's about to happen. Yeah. Uh, I I also get a chuckle out of the fact that we see, you know, he's basically just using his Bluetooth to call Alfred. Um, (laughs) But it's got like a cool orange screen Um, is. So the woman that eventually answers the phone, right? The the other um, she's more of the, the butler, I would say, than Alfred. Is her name Dory or Gory? I think it's Dory. That's what I thought. Okay. <laughs> um, but when she answers the phone and he says, you know, Dory, I need to speak to Alfred. Something terrible is going to happen. Is this Bruce Wayne talking or is this Batman talking? I 
I feel like it's more Bruce Wayne talking. Yeah. Um, is he just, I don't know. He just doesn't have that, that vengeance animalistic feeling behind him again. Like you said, Carl, you know, he's like that scared little boy again instead. And something's about to happen to, you know, basically his surrogate father. Yeah. Do you think Dory knows he's Batman? Um, you know, I don't know. I, I feel like she's, she's a very good employee and she probably knows something's going on, but also doesn't ask. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah, I feel like that's where I would land too, is I don't think she's probably been explicitly told that he is. Um, but yeah, there's just something about her that she, like you said, probably knows something is up, but, but respects the boundary and doesn't want to cross it. Um, but she, she says a line that is, I find very important because it's something that Riddler said earlier in the movie to him. The first time he talks to him over the phone during, you know, Coulson's fake trial, she says, I've been trying to reach you. Riddler says that exact same line to Batman when he, when he talks to him on the phone that first time. Um, but I just find it a really poignant line. I've been trying to reach you. To me, it's this reminder, both, both coming out of Dory's mouth and coming out of Riddler's mouth. It's this reality once again that the city of Gotham need both Batman and Bruce in a way that he's not showing up, right? Like, I'm trying to reach you. I'm trying to like, not, so I feel like in this moment, Dory is, is kind of the voice of Gotham saying like, I've been trying to get your attention. Like, people need you, Bruce. Um, Riddler is saying like, people need you, Batman, but maybe in a very different way, right? Like I, I just find that to be a very poignant line. How does, how does that sit with you? Wow. I mean, I haven't caught that Carl. So I really, I really like that. Uh, Watch it 35 times. You might. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I, I really life, like Carl. Crazy, though, that he's not, um, he's not there in the way they need him. You know, Riddler has this vision of who the Batman is, which is not the same vision that Bruce has of the Batman. And, you know, Dory same, you know, she, she knows him as Bruce and, um, you know, trying, trying to bring him into his duty as, as who he is as a, a person, not just the vengeance that he is right now. Um, I, I just like that connection you have between the two and it's, it's, you know, it's almost, um, uh, Bella Real also says, you know, my people have been trying to get a hold of your people yeah. <laughs> kind yes. of thing and same can't get a hold of him yeah. either. And it's yeah. like, he's in, he's in his own zone of what he thinks Gotham needs, but it's not actually what Gotham needs. Right. And, and, and as this is, we're going to get to here in shortly, it's because Bruce is so ignorant of what the people actually need. Cause he's, mm-hmm. he's out there running around beating up bad guys, but he doesn't really understand what, why people are bad guys. He doesn't understand what the city is actually in need of. Um, so yeah, that great, great point pulling in Bella Real as well. That's right. Cause she, while she doesn't use that exact phrasing, she says the same thing. <laughs> so that's a great point. So now you've got, you've got three different people, you know, you've got his familial place saying they've been trying to get in touch with him. You have a villain trying to get in touch with him and you have the voice of the people trying to get in touch with him. So there's all these different avenues in which he's very ignorant. Um, um, man. And then, you know, when he goes to visit Alfred in the hospital, 
something I find really comical. And again, I know it's just for the aesthetic of this movie, but my God, that is the darkest hospital in the history of the world. <laughs> well, it's Gotham. It's Gothic. <laughs> it's like apparently they don't like to use lights. <laughs> I mean, if you've ever been in a hospital, I mean, those places are bright as heck. I mean, in this one, nope, there's like one light <laughs> in the entire hallway. Just, the whole place is is in its dark, dark stages. <sighs> I I appreciate it. Well, again, like that's the aesthetic of the film. I get it. But I also do appreciate that it's it's really I mean, it's bat, it's Bruce standing in the dark because I feel like in this scene, he is that broken boy who is mm-hmm. looking at, as you said, his surrogate father, you know, clinging to life. And what's so important is when the nurse asks him or the doctor asks him, you know, is there anyone else we need to notify next of kin? No, it's just me. Mm-hmm. Once again, a deeper connection to this to this Bruce and this Alfred that this Alfred also kind of has nobody but Bruce. What do you think of that? I mean, you know, it takes me back to when, when they were doing the shots of Alfred seeing the package and, you know, um, and, and, you know, I'd, I'd like to get your take of this, Carl, and what you think. Um, but when he looks at this package, you know, he's seen the lettering and he's seen the symbols that the Riddler has written on, you know, um, all the different, uh, mysteries he solved throughout this whole thing too um so i feel like he knew that something was up with this package even though it said for bruce wayne's eyes only and he still opened it and he continued to open it and you know he sees this thing that says fireproof to batman um and you know he quickly figures it out but i feel like i feel like he, he was in protector mode at that mo- moment you know he he feels failing thomas since thomas was killed and he didn't protect him and this is his moment to protect Bruce. Wow. I never saw it that way, Amy. Um, but I love that. I mean, my, my the way I just read the scene was, um, yeah, I didn't, I, I think you're absolutely right, though. I he, he has seen his handwriting. Like, he has seen the Riddler's handwriting because he's been very hands-on with Bruce with some of the previous clues. Um, and Alfred doesn't seem to be the type who would be nosy with Bruce's mail. Mm, I don't know. Actually, maybe he would. <laughs> um, <laughs> But all that to say, yeah, I I really like that point you're making that this is Alfred going into protector mode. And um, and while he doesn't probably know exactly what's inside of it, he's he's willing to take the risk so that Bruce won't have to. And, you know, he's quick on his feet. Like as soon as he turns it over, he notices I mean, he puts everything together very quickly, which is probably what saved his life. If you think about it. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. if he didn't have the wherewithal, like the of his obvious previous training himself, he probably would have been blown to bits. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I, I didn't have a, a deep reading on this other than like, he's just curious and reading the mail. Um, but I love your point. And I think that's, I think that's a hundred percent right. Like this is Alfred going into protector mode. I really like that, Amy. That's brilliant. Um, yeah. And, um, another thing with that too, you know, I really love the entrance and the slow motion of the firemen, um, and, and firewomen going up the stairs mm. because it's like, it, it's these other costumed heroes, um, that are there to, to help, you know, save, save Alfred and get him out of there, get him to the hospital when the Batman isn't there. Or Bruce isn't there. Another, wow. That's awesome as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, 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 uh, maybe an important reminder that, 
Batman doesn't that doesn't and shouldn't be doing this all on his own, right? Like that there are mm-hmm. others in Gotham that are that are there to help people as well. That's a great point. And and the fact that there is kind of this slow motion effect to some of those moments. I feel like that again, so much of the way Matt Reeves shoots this movie is kind of a POV. And it it is almost probably Bruce's POV. Like it's almost like he's stepped out of time for a moment because he's he's probably so deep into the despair mm. and the and the terror, right? So the the filming of those that particular moment is also indicating like Bruce's lack of comprehension of kind of what's going on around him. Yeah, I really like that. It's almost like his own guilty uh, memory is going through of what what happened when he wasn't there yeah for sure um now <laughs> then uh i i want to go with something you mentioned earlier where you said you know his drive back to the wayne tower is this moment of frantic um frantic dis- you know fr- franticness just leave it at that <laughs> i think this next scene of him kind of going into like beast mode got to solve these riddles is there's a there's a franticness there but i think he's he's composed himself enough where he's like all right no more you know no more mr nice guy no more messing around you know kind of footing around all of these clues and it's time to get down to business and and i and i love just kind of this almost it's almost like a montage shot of of him you know we get another great shot of his beautiful back as he's pushing that massive table. Oh, <laughs> so good, Amy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I love how his shoulder blades, the way they, I don't know if he did this on purpose or not, but the way he like pushes them back and slowly together, um, it almost looks like he has wings. <sighs> That's a, yeah, it really is. That's a great eye, Amy. Ugh, I mean, I, I probably am just getting lost in other things. Um, <laughs> we put some focus on this. Yeah, so. no, it's, it's, <laughs> But to to the point we I like we made earlier when we were talking about that first scene where we see him from behind putting his shirt on, um, there is such a uh, a rubberiness to his muscles. Again, it, it all goes back to the way they trained Rob for the part is they wanted him to look like a boxer. They wanted him to look like somebody whose muscles are not tight and big like Ben Affleck, but rather malleable and flexible. Um, like somebody who would out, be out fist fighting every night. <laughs> so, um, yeah, well, I, I like that too. Cause you know, it makes it more realistic when he's put, pushing this big, heavy table, you know, it's yeah. not something he can just lift, right. um, like, you know, some kind of superhero would, but he's, he's still human and he, it takes a lot of energy out of him to push this big, heavy table, um, across this floor. And this is where, you know, that, that, that use of the noise in this Gothic mm-hmm. tower is just so fantastic again when you're hearing the loud screeches of it sliding across the floor in each stage as he's pushing it away yeah and let's let's be real amy those are those are some good grunts um (laughs) (laughs) oh i should try grunting like that at the gym just to try to do the rob grunt (laughs) whenever i'm pushing weights (laughs) people be like would you shut up be like i'm just being bruce wayne um i can't help it (laughs) you just gotta Um, give him the look yeah uh but i i like I enjoy the franticness of the scene. I, I the fact that he's, you know, he's just kind of in a pair of pants, like he doesn't have a shirt on. There's this raging fire going on. I mean, he's spray painting on this beautiful floor, you know, in this gothic mansion. Yeah. He just doesn't care anymore other than like I need to find this riddler. I need to figure this out before anyone else gets hurt, right? Is I feel like that's the that's kind of the the emotion I get from this particular scene is he's really got to figure this out and figure it out fast. 
Um, and, and it's him organizing his thoughts. It's putting everything together. It's putting it's you know, it's it's laying all the puzzle pieces on the on the floor so that he can start going through this. Um, uh, I will note really quickly one more time as we get more of his, you know, his exposed body, like we see other scars and stripes and scratches. Right. Mm-hmm. Again, further evidence of this is a man who's been out for two years fist fighting almost every night. Yeah, you know, he's, he's got the body to, to show that. Um, and uh, feel free to stop me at any point if I go past where you wanted to say anything. But I, but no, I, it's, it's, it's fine. No, go ahead. Sorry. What were you going to say? No, you know, uh, there, there's a couple of things I really liked about it too. You know, he, you can tell he's really transfixed on his father having any sins by just the way he writes it. Like that's the one he outlines in a rectangular box and nothing else is outlined like that. And he puts the two question marks after it, which, you know, like when, when we type things and we put one question mark, we're asking a question, but when we put two, there's usually like some kind of shock behind our question. Um, so he's like really not able to figure out how his father had sins because that's not the father he knew. Um, yeah. This is the same father that, you know, um, brought Falcone in and took a bullet out of him and saved his life. And, you know, like why would somebody who is that good of a person to do that for somebody who's not so good of a person have sins? Um, yeah. And it, and I mean, the other part too, like, and I, I don't know which themes it was, but I loved the music compilation that they did here where it was like a combo of different subtle themes of different people as he's writing out these different pieces on the floor. Um, and it's just like the music compilations just combined a little bit of different people. Yeah. It's, it's one of my favorite tracks on the, on the soundtrack. It's called, and it, and it's called riddles, riddles everywhere. Um, great. Uh, Michael Giacchino always when he, he, uh, he gets to name the, the titles of all the, the tracks on his soundtracks and they're always very punny. I love it. Um, but yeah. And, and you know, I, I like how the scene kind of comes to an end where he's, he's going through the file cabinets seeing mm-hmm. like these stacks upon stacks of the renewal funds. And then he takes all of this stuff, like a homework assignment down into the bat cave. And, and I almost like how there's right. There's, there's this, the way they're shooting it, like they're doing all these quick shots, you know, the music is kind of, the, the violins are really intense and moving very quickly. You've got that, you know, that big fire going everything to imply that like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to dig right into this. I'm diving in and I'm going to get this right done. And then it kind of ends in this fizzle as the music kind of fades out and fizzles out really. And we, he, as he slaps down those stack of files, it's like, all right, this is, this is every college student, like settling down to study for finals at the end of the semester or something. Right. It's like, it's like, okay, this isn't going to go as quickly as you were hoping, Bruce, because now you've got to start reading through all this stuff and trying to find connections. Oh, boy. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, and, you know, the, the, the look of those files, too, also shows the, you know, the failure of the renewal fund because they're just, they're just old, very brittle papers in, the, in this file. It looks like it hasn't been touched in probably since his father closed that file. Um, so they've just been sitting there gathering dust and been dirty and just, uh, rotted away. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and as he sits down to start his homework, uh, he gets a cat call (laughs) literally. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Um, and, uh, there's something about this little moment where he's sitting there again, like, topless there's, there's a vulnerability i think in bruce in this scene one because he is coming from a, you know the the brokenness and the despair of what triggered the batman is 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 been fully brought to light again because of what just happened to alfred so he's sitting there in this kind of place of despair and and probably sadness 
very, very vulnerable. And then Selena kind of comes into it. Uh, he still has some control cause she can't see him, but he can see her. Um, what, what, how do you, how does that feel to you in that moment when she, you know, she's reaching out to him. She's trying to, she also is, you know, where are you? We're trying to get in touch mm-hmm. with him. I'm trying to reach you. Um, and she, yeah, but look re- how quickly he answers her. Yeah. Yeah. And, but, but he answers her from this really vulnerable space, which will certainly inform the, the, the initial encounter in the next scene. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, he's in a, he's in a moment where, you know, I think he's, he's going back and forth between this, this angry and confused vigilante and this human who is, you know, suffering right now. And she's kind of, it's like a little bit of relief for him. You know, I think he, I think he enjoyed moments with her and being able to see her there kind of perked him up a little bit again. It brought a little life back into him. That's, that's really good. Great. Uh, That's a really great point, Amy. Um, It really, yeah, it does seem to kind of light a little fire in him because in the course of this story, the only people he's really had connection, like a real connection with is obviously Alfred Gordon and a flirtatious one with Selena. And I don't mean flirtatious purely in the sense of like romantic sexual, but you know, like very wary of how much he wants to let her into his world. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's great. And then I, what I love is she says, you know, is there somewhere we can meet? And, he shares the location of the clubhouse that he meets with Jim Gordon at. Yeah. <laughs> like, come to my treehouse. Yeah, I mean, that's a big step in their relationship. <laughs> it's huge. <laughs> come play in my treehouse, Selena. Um, <laughs> just don't let Gordon see you. Yeah, just don't tell Gordon. He'll be really upset. He thinks this is just our place. Um, <laughs> uh, but, I, I, again, a be- some beautiful cinematography in the scene is, you know, we kind of veer up on him, you know, from behind, looking at the sunset and I love this shot of his eyes, right? His eyes almost look glossy because once again, a kind of a reminder that this dude has not seen daylight for a couple of years, really. So the sun is still really problematic for his vision. Um, and uh, and then Selena shows up. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I really like the the conversation going on between them in this scene and you know, this is another example similar to show how, you know, Bruce, Bruce's view of his identity as the Batman versus what others see him as. Um, you know, the Riddler has his own vision of who, who the Batman is, somebody he admires. And, you know, Selena's asking for his help as she she's like, you know, you're vengeance. Why wouldn't you help me get vengeance? Mm-hmm. And it and he, he's like, why would I, you know, do something like this? Like, that's 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 pretty bad. We're going to I don't want to kill somebody. Yeah. Yeah, there, the, this scene is so important on so many levels. Um, I mean, it's 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 beautifully orchestrated again by Michael Giacchino. It's beautifully shot, um, and as she's kind of ex, explaining what she's after, like you said, after vengeance. Batman is such a jerk to her, though, initially. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, what did you have to do to get close to them? Like he, again, has kind of pushed her back into the Yep, you're just you're a criminal. Right. Like he's he's diminishing her so much and and trying to, like, throw shame on her for letting Annika get involved with that life. Like you should have known better, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, dude, 
you clearly grew up rich, right? Like the idea of consequences for people in my world are very different than in yours. I mean, and that's so true. I mean, look at our world. Look at all these rich Wall Street people and bank managers and bank owners that do all sorts of illegal shit all the time and get away with it. But, uh, oh, yeah. heaven forbid you, you know, you, you peddle a little bit of marijuana on the street, like you get locked up for years, right? Like the system is very good to certain people and very bad to others. Um, and Selena's on the other side of that in a way Bruce has never known and is clearly super ignorant of, um, Mm -hmm. you know, like he comes in hot on her and, and I feel like it's, it's the most physically aggressive he's ever been. Even, even in their first encounter where they actually fight, it's like you said, when we were talking about that, it was more of a dance than a fight. This is like when she goes to walk away because she realizes like, there's no getting through to you. You're, you're like, you have such blinders on that you're not willing to listen to a different perspective so you know what i'm gone but the way he grabs her and like demands she tell him like there is such a kind of messed up forcefulness in him in that moment that i think is really i mean i think if i don't know if it scares her necessarily but it certainly causes her to erupt as well with like i don't think she wanted to tell him her relationship to falcone but she's like you know what i'm just gonna spit the cold facts at him and see how he likes it type of a thing you know yeah and i think it's because you know it's again he has his own vision of of who he wants her to be versus who she is and he keeps trying to you know she can't be she can't be that gray area she has to be good or she has to be bad so Mm -hmm. you know she's if she's hanging out with these people her friends are getting killed by these people she's stealing from these people she's interacting with them and who knows what kind of way and he just starts to get really angry um, and you know, I, and I'm glad she, she spilled the facts and put him in his place because he, yep. he needed it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and when she tells him her narrative, she tells him her story and just like Riddler did just, you know, 15 minutes prior, um, well in movie time, <laughs> you know, <laughs> reveals that he's an orphan. Selena now also it admits to the fact that she's also an orphan mm-hmm. and her mother was murdered um just like Bruce's parents and her only other surviving blood relative tossed her aside and acted as if she didn't even exist right so a much different experience than him and i think it's in that moment where he understands his lack of understanding right i think her telling him her story completely allows him to rethink who she is and changes his perspective. And I love that he says, I'm sorry for what I said. Like there's such a genuineness in it. Um, And even his body language, like his head kind of tilts, like in an act of contrition, his body slumps over a little bit. Like there is this physical repentance in him in that moment as well. Um, And you can imagine how many times Celine has probably heard a man say genuinely that they're sorry to her. This might be the very first time, Um, right? Like I just, I find it so powerful because, because we are sadly surrounded by so much toxic masculinity where saying I'm sorry is seen as a form of weakness. I love that Batman models in this moment, how important it is when somebody reveals facts to you that are uncomfortable, that were contrary to what you thought, it's important to say sorry, (laughs) you know? Yeah, and you know, you asked me earlier if I thought um, when the Batman learned the Riddler was an orphan like him, if he had empathy. I don't think he did there, but I think he does here. 
Yeah. Because there's actually something he feels with her, and this this brought him to that new place where he could genuinely say, I'm sorry, and he he's starting to, yeah, like you said, under, make that understanding, and I think there was some empathy with this one. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, it's it's such it's just such a beautifully uh, uh, powerful moment. Um, and it allows a deeper connection now to exist between the two of them. Um, you know, and I love that Selena then once again, now she's going to ask him again. She she asked him in, earlier, right? You're going to help me, right? Your vengeance. No, I'm not going to do that. You're a criminal. But now he now that he kind of re understands who she is. Once again, now she's she's more like pleading with him um, and not in, like not in like a pathetic way, but like, come on, vengeance. Like we got if we don't stand up for her, nobody will. Right. Like it. I, in, Zoe Kravitz in a lot of the interviews prior to the movie coming out talked a lot about what she loved about this character that Matt Reeves wrote for the movie is that she is kind of fighting for the forgotten, right? Like, mm-hmm. and as you've noted several times, Amy, right? Like she's got a thing about strays. She is, she is somebody who's, who tries to care for the people that nobody else cares for. Um, and yeah. I love that Selena is so adamant about like, we need to stand up for people like this because nobody else does. And then she indicts a very real problem in our culture, which is, the problem of white privilege. And I know mm-hmm. using language like that will probably ostracize some folks, but but it's the fact of the land, unfortunately, Amy, right? Like white privilege is all too real. And I know uh this certainly like that her saying that line pissed off so many Fox News pundits. I loved it. Um they were so triggered because they're all snowflakes <laughs> in reality. Um, by her pointing out a very real thing about American society. Um, and I love that Matt Reeves didn't hold back, that he wasn't afraid mm-hmm. to point out like part of what causes the systems to be broken down in our own world is that there are people with privilege who want to ignore it or pretend like it's not real and just take advantage of it. So I love that he kind of took the gloves off through Selena there and threw some truth at us. Yeah. And and I love the connections you're making there, Carl. And it, it's it's very true. And it I like how when she talks about it, she connects it back and she says it's all about the Waynes. Mm. And, you know, this kind of brings the Batman back to reality that, oh, crap, I am Bruce Wayne. And I don't think he really realized his privilege because he's always been in this sorrowful moment of I'm an orphan. My parents were murdered. Um, he's never really had that moment of understanding that he had this privilege uh, being who he was. Yeah. Yeah. And and. Um, in a weird way, it takes her to be the one to point it out so that he can finally see it for what it is. Um, but, uh, you know, in this and this creates an intimacy between them um, where, you know, she it's the first time ever where she kind of indicates a curiosity behind who's under that cowl. Right. You know, I mean, it's. It's a very sensual moment as she kind of caresses the the cowl and, you know, who are you under there? Um, do you think that's a genuine question? Do you think she really wants to know or is it more of just um, and because she also follows it up with like, you know, what are you hiding? Right. Like, mm-hmm. I think those are two different but really linked questions. Right. Who are you under there and what are you hiding? I think are just really poignant questions that Selena's asking. Yeah, and I think it goes deeper than that. I don't know if she really wants to know, you know, what's your real name? Who are you there? But just who who are you? 
um, you know, she, she's more confident in, in who she is and her identity. Um, you know, she doesn't have to keep the mask on, whereas he's somebody who still keeps the mask on. And she's, you know, she, she has that connection with him there that she understands, you know, the idea of wearing a mask and being um, um, hiding who you are at times, but trying to help him figure out who he is at the same time. Yeah. And I want to, uh, that just put something into my mind. Cause I remember having these conversations with you uh, like shortly after the movie came out and we were both loving on it so hard. And you made such a great point about that, about how, how Selena is at a very different place than Batman and in a, in, a, in a much, in a much more mature space because of her ability to take the mask off. And I think what's worth noting, uh, hearing you say that, Amy, is at the beginning of this scene, when she comes off of the elevator, she pulls her mask off, right? She's wearing mm-hmm. it on the way up, but then in front of him. And it's, again, kind of poignant because she's about to reveal the truth of who she is to to him in this moment, right? Um, so she pulls that mask right off because this is kind of a, a truth-telling scene for her. Um, so I think that's a really, a really notable uh, observation, Amy. I'm glad you brought it in. Um, yeah. And you know, you know, I, I, I question, you know, we don't know what the next movies will have on, you know, what will, when will the reveal happen? What will the reveal be? Um, but I don't think she's the kind of uh, Catwoman that's really going to press it either. I think she's, she lets people be who they are, but he, he's a stray. So now she's got a thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, it's so I don't want to. I know I sent you a copy of Hush. I don't know if you've had a moment, if you've had a chance to read it yet. Um, but it's a really, it's 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 a really renowned uh, Batman graphic novel uh, written by Jeff Loeb, um, same author as Long Halloween. Um, but so much of that story, and what I love about it so much is it's Batman falling in love with Catwoman. Um, and uh, have you read it yet, Amy? No, not yet. Okay. Um, I don't know if I want to reveal this then because, I mean, it's not, it's not a massive <laughs> surprise, but I don't want to spoil anything for you. Um, but it, but it is, it, I mean, at its heart, that story is about Batman trying to understand if he wants to trust Selina with his secret, right? Does, does he want to tell her he's Bruce Wayne? Um, he knows that Catwoman is Selina Kyle, but she still doesn't know. But to your point, what I appreciate about what you're saying, Amy, is that I think it was something that's always been true for Catwoman Um in a lot of the iterations of her appearances is that, like you said, she doesn't care who he is because she's going to let him be who he is. And I like the way you reframed even the question in the scene, you know, who are you? It's, it's not who, like, who are you? Are you Bruce Wayne? Are you Carl Leclerc? Are you, you know, Richard Dreyfus? I don't know why I came to him. Um, but like, it's not like she wants his proper name, but what's driving you, right? Like, why are you doing this? Right. If you're not doing this, because I think for her, she's hoping he'll join her in the fight for the forgotten. Right. Like if we don't stand up for for Annika, no one will. I think that's such a poignant moment because I think she's she wants him to be more than just a bully of the bullies. She wants him to mean more than that. Um, So that's a I love the way you've reframed that question, Amy, that it's it's at its core. It's about what's driving you. Why are you doing this? Um, So I love that. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, you know, she walks into it too. She has her own idea of who vengeance is. And it's not what his idea of it is. But yeah, I, you know, I, I agree with you, Carl, that it's she sees more of what he needs to be than what he realizes he needs to be at this point. Absolutely. Um, 
I, that's that's kind of the what well, everything I, I I had in my in my mind for for these scenes. Um, is there is there anything um, that you feel like we've we've missed or you wanted to touch on that that hasn't been brought up yet? Carl, did I completely miss you talking about the fact that they kiss? Oh, I'm sorry. I was. Uh, uh, no, <laughs> I thought that was like the scene you wanted this whole time. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I. I, of course, I love the kiss. Um, I mean, and again, that, that the music that Giacchino has written there, I mean, it, it's, it's Catwoman's theme that's being played during that moment. Um, but just the visual of it again, like there's something, there's something so sensual about it, right? Like it's not, it's not just like some horny thirst trap scene. It's actually something really beautiful because I think the fact that she chooses this moment to kiss him I think is really important. And, and, but I want to, I kind of want to ask this of you because I think you're more of the Selena expert than I am. Why is this the moment she chooses to kiss him? I think it's that moment that she, she made that connection with him as well. Hmm. That it's just, you know, he's not, she is seeing a little bit more of who he is than who the Batman usually acts when he's out on duty, I guess you could say. Um, and I just, I, yeah, I think it's that moment where they've, they've made this deeper connection and it's kind of just like sealing that this is a special bond that they have. It's not anything, it's not anything more or anything less. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think I would say the same. I, I, she's clearly the one initiating it. She's clearly the one who is choosing to do it. I mean, if, I'm sure he has no issues with it. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, I, I, and I think but it's still like, it's more that confidence that she has too of who she is. And you yeah. see him a little bit nervous in this moment because this is a new feeling and experience for him. Right. Right. And I imagine it's not comfortable with the way the body might react to a kiss from somebody that attractive in a bat suit <laughs> might be a little uncomfortable. Um, but, uh, you know, I think I think it's also important for him because, yeah, there there I think he perceives now that there is this genuine connection between them. Um, right. Whatever whatever he might have been wondering about how she feels about him, you know, kissing him reveals something else that that there is, she also has a draw to him um, that I think is really important. Yeah, and I love the way the scene closes out, too. You know, he's kind of, he's not sounding so much into protector mode of, you know, don't do anything without me, but he has mm. more of this concern of, you know, don't do not do anything rash without me. Um, and her response is still, you know, I can take care of myself. Um, and, yeah, you know, we'll see it in later scenes how this plays out. But, yeah, I, I just, I really liked that scene that it seemed more of a concern from him than uh, him giving her an order like he like when he first had her going into uh the nightclub forum with the the contacts in yeah yeah no that's a great yeah it, it's I, yeah i like the way you put that it's not so much like telling her you're not allowed to but there's this just kind of a genuine concern um but yeah i again like he just is not aware <laughs> of how capable she is on her own um so, uh, Amy, I think that will will wrap up this next section of the uh, of the Batman. What do you think? 
Yeah, I think that's a good way to end. Yeah, Walking and, away from the bat signal. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, I mean, as of as of when this is going to be posted, we are just a few days away of going down to D.C. to watch the Batman live in concert. I'm so excited we get to do that together. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, so uh, we'll be sure to to post some updates about that on on our social media. Um, but yeah, uh, anything else for you, Amy? No, I think that brings it to a good close. We got some exciting scenes coming up in these next action-packed endings. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Um, well, I think that's going to do it for us uh, on this episode of the Bat and the Cat podcast. Um, as I said, we are on social media, so feel free to follow us on Instagram at BatCatPodcast. Uh, and, um, yeah, you'll see everything we're up to over there. And yeah, this has been chapter five feline feelings, and we will see you very soon in the bat and the cat podcast. <laughs>